As the express roared through the station, Anna Jessen felt a stab of pain in her left eye. At six o'clock on a late June evening, the platform had been crowded. A young schoolmaster was trying to control a group of some forty-five schoolboys and girls between the ages of ten and twelve years old. Some of the boys were examining a plan of Winchester Cathedral. Others were making paper aeroplanes. A young woman teacher was counting the girls who pestered her with questions. Additional confusion was being caused by two large black Labradors in the charge of a large blonde colonel maid. One of the smallest boys ran forward to throw his aeroplane at the train. Anna, though his safety was no concern of hers, was afraid that he would go too near the edge of the platform and ran forward to pull him back. She was facing the train as it went through, and a piece of grit from it struck her eye. It hurt. With her hand to her eye, she turned back into the waiting room. It was as crowded as the platform. Small boys were struggling with one another to acquire chips and chocolates before their train came in. A porter was explaining at great length to the manageress how a passenger had insulted him. Anna pushed her way to the counter. Please, she said. Please, do you have any water? The manageress was an old friend of hers. Of course, dear. Plain or mineral? I don't know, Mrs. Harris, either. I've got something in my eye. It's rather painful. In that case, plain water, I should say. No need to open a bottle specially. A girl who had been tidying the tables came across. There was a man I know lost the sight of an eye through getting grit in it. Shall I pull down the lid and have a look? Anna shook her head. No, don't bother. Thank you, Mrs. Harris, very much. She took the glass. Apply it directly to your eye, said Mrs. Harris. That'll wash it out. Anna did not find it easy. Some water splashed on the floor. Don't bother about that, said Mrs. Harris. Beryl can mop it up. Any better? I'm afraid not. Try blowing your nose and rubbing the other eye, suggested Beryl. A man, who had been seated at a table in the corner, rose and came across. "'I wonder if I can help,' he said. "'I should be able to. I'm a doctor. You're very kind.' He took her by the arm. There was a firm but gentle strength about his grip. "'Turn around to the light,' he said. "'Now look up. Yes, now look down. Good, good, I see it. Hold still, please.' He took his handkerchief from his breast pocket— He twisted the corner of it and bent forward. There. That didn't take long, did it? Thank you, she said. Thank you. You can probably still feel something, and you may think that it's still there, but it isn't, I can assure you. Look. He showed her his handkerchief, with the speck on it. So, I shan't lose the sight of my eye, she said. Not on that account. He looked at her, thoughtfully. You don't sound English, he remarked. I'm not. I was born in Naples. Ah, one of those tourists that we hear so much about. She shook her head. No, married to an Englishman for seventeen years now. But you still feel Italian. Again, she shook her head. I never go back to Italy. My roots are here. Very firm roots. (laughs) Like a tree. England is a good country for trees, good soil, even exotic foreign trees grow well there. 
Is that how you see yourself? As how? As foreign and exotic? Scarcely. It's how you look. How so? Your black hair. There's a luster to it. The way you move and your general air. I can't find the word for it. Yes, I can. Sultry. There's a sultriness about you. She stared at him, astonished. Over the loudspeaker system, the next train, the 1813 to Waterloo, was being announced. That's mine, he said. I've got to hurry. She followed him onto the platform. His train was just drawing in. He would be crossing to it by the subway. I shan't see him again, she thought.